Good morning. A reflection for the word section of our time together. Reading between the lines of uh, the COVID virus, um, it seems pretty apparent to me that uh, whatever happens in terms of flattening curves and the like, that, that the world has fundamentally changed and we're going to be participating uh, in the experience of this virus uh, globally uh, for a long, long time. It's interesting listening to the many people that I've been calling on the phone and that have graciously been calling me. Um, I hear two sort of basic things and then I hear a whole lot in between those two basic things. I hear a group of people who are just looking for stability and I completely understand that. Uh, life has been flipped on its head and uh, we need stability. I hear another group of people who almost seem to be incredibly energised by what's happening. And for them, it feels like opportunity. And I, I imagine that um, those who are seeing this as a huge opportunity uh, are probably irritated by those who are just, can we be quiet and look for some stability, please? And then, of course, there are all those in between uh, opportunity uh, and stability. As a leader of a, a, a major corporation uh, said to me very recently, he said, you know, we're not actually in control of much, are we? And I thought coming from that person, that was interesting. There's a sort of a wait and see approach. Uh, my brother, who's a, a, a man of the earth and a man of business, um, you know, he's working out his cash and uh, how much the government's uh, going to support him. And I suppose all this wraps us up in a world where really most of us, all of us really, have been formed in a, in a rational, a rationalistic society where uh, problems um, are ours to solve, where we set about uh, solving things that we don't like. And we don't like being told we're, we're not in control. We don't somehow have the, the machinery or the equipment internally to, to deal with being out of control. Um, we can even find, if we're believers in God, that we find ourselves uh, being a bit, a bit dirty on God. Who is he to disrupt our lives in this way? What does he think he's doing? Um, and I was reading uh, in, in Daniel, uh, just this morning, and as I turn over uh, in my Bible to Daniel, um, he says in chapter, uh, chapter 4, um, verse 35, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does, this is God, of course, as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth, he does as he pleases. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? What do you think you're doing? And yet that's something that we hear a lot of in this season, which raises the whole question of what does it mean for God to be sovereign or to be the ruler over all things? What does it mean for God to not be dismayed by a time such as the time we're in? So as Christians, what sense do we make of God's sovereignty uh, in a time like this? 
it's interesting as we think sort of intellectually about how we see God. Um, I remember when I was a little boy, I was about five or six years old, we had French friends um, who we at least once went on holidays with. They had a son who they'd actually named after me. So there was Malcolm and Malcolm. And little Malcolm was a bit younger than me. And in his dad's car, he had a special seat. This is in the 60s. It's pre-seatbelts even, I think. And in between his mum and dad was where uh, little Malcolm would sit in this rather lovely little seat that had its own console in front of him that included a gear stick and an indicator stick and a steering wheel. And little Malcolm was just completely enamoured by all things car. So as his dad drove the real car, little Malcolm would drive his little um, console, his little imaginary car. And it's interesting, isn't it? Often intellectually, that's what we're actually like with God. Um, we think we're driving the car, but actually the sophisticated task of superintending and sovereignly driving the car is his dad's. Uh, and Malcolm's little Macmar, as his nickname was, is there in his little imaginary wheel trying to drive his car but discovering he's not in control of much. That, ex that story actually explodes into a, into a reality because we were away on holidays with this family once and, and Malcolm, little Malcolm, had disappeared. And uh, next thing, there was this almighty crash a little Malcolm had decided that um, he wanted to have a go of being in control of Daddy's big car all by himself. And he'd discovered the handbrake and in the driveway he'd let the, um, the handbrake off the car um, in the driveway of the holiday house that we'd rented together. And the car came backwards actually and uh, ended up embedded uh, underneath the house. It had smashed clean through. Uh, the walls and was embedded underneath the house. We're not actually nearly as competent as driving Dad's car, however scientifically, intellectually, rationally, um, in control, we'd like to think we actually are. What I'd like us to do now um, is just consider how much of Scripture points to God as sovereign just, just a couple of verses. Uh, here we are. You know, we can randomly look at these. Psalm 135. And I've noticed along with Cheryl just how many verses in Scripture point to the sovereignty of God. 135 verse 6, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and in the seas and in the depths. Or back a little way at uh, Psalm 115. The Psalms are full of passages like this. Verse 3, 115, 3. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Or then if we flick across uh, finally to Isaiah, the great prophet speaking to Babylon here in chapter 46 and verse uh, 10. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, 
what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. So in a time like this, what does it mean to intellectually acknowledge that we might think we're holding the little wheel, but God's really got the big wheel? And at the same time, not think he's just a capricious God who's, who's playing with us in some way. Well, what I'd like us to do now is just look at a little video. And in the video, you'll see this clarity of the authority of God uh, fully revealed in Jesus, for Jesus carried all God's authority. We see that in Hebrews 1. We see that in Hebrews 8. We see that in Revelation 4. We can see that everything that is the Father's is the Son's. They carry the same authority. And here we're looking at Lazarus and his death. So have a look at this now and see what the people are like, but not just intellectually. Feel their personalities and their hearts as you watch. Who do you think you are? When I'm in charge in God's kingdom, you... They'll never pick you. You can run a market store. <laughs> I was the first to follow him. If anyone's going to be in charge, it's going to be me. Could you lead an army? Will man follow you to glory? You tell him. I was the first. Go on, ask him, Judas. Master. And... We've been waiting for you to come. And tell us, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I'll tell you. Unless you change utterly and become like little children, you will never even enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this little child, he'll be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Master, come and sit with us. What must a man do to be saved? Uh, you must trust in the Lord your God with all your heart and... And? And you must love your neighbour as much as you love yourself. And who is my neighbour? There was a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, down the steep gorge all alone. Suddenly, robbers appeared. They attacked him, they threw him to the ground, they ripped his clothes, they stole his money. They left him for dead. It so happened that a priest was coming along from Jerusalem. He dared not find out whether the man was still alive because he believed that it was wrong to touch a dead body. The priest walked by on the other side. Then along came a rich and powerful Sadducee. He walked right up to the man and crossed right over to the other side. Then along came a man from Samaria. A Samaritan? Samaritans throw rocks at us? I spit at them. I hate them. He saw the poor man lying on the road dying and he took pity on him. He took some ointment that he had and he poured it on the man's wounds. He bandaged him up as best he could and then the Samaritan took 
the man to an inn. He paid the innkeeper and he said, Whatever else it costs to look after this man, I'll pay you everything on my return. So, you tell me, which one of these three men proved to be the man's neighbor? Well, the one who showed him such love. Well, you go then. Do the same. Teacher. Reuben. I've ridden all night. What's happened? It's Lazarus. He's so sick. Lazarus. Please, you must come to us. Martha and Mary, they're begging you. Please, if you don't come now. Reuben, tell Martha and Mary I will come. I will come soon. Oh, please. Why didn't you go? Why? If you're friend. There is a purpose in our grief. <laughs> Tomorrow, everything that's happening will be to the glory of God. So having enjoyed that three minutes, it's terrific, isn't it? How this sense of the... The, the passion and the heart and the anger and the disappointment with Jesus is so evident, particularly around the Lazarus piece. But we also see the character of the disciples and we also see um, the beautiful Samaritan story and the winsomeness and the wisdom and uh, the, the way Jesus embraces humankind. So he says both I'm sovereign, I'm in charge, but he also somehow carries that in the most beautiful, uh, inclusive, embracing, loving way. Um, he's not, he's not um, bitter or dispassionate or uncaring in any way. And we see that in this Lazarus story where we see his sovereignty work out, don't we? His sovereignty is that, no, something terrible has happened and I'm going to allow this to happen. That incredible statement um, about uh, grief, why don't you go? There's a purpose in this, even though none of us or none of them could see the purpose. So as we think about this season that we're in and our little wheel and God's big wheel, and then we see the sovereignty of God in Christ in the Lazarus story, can we allow ourselves um, to, in a sense, bow the knee before the Lord Jesus, whose actions really reveal his character, his emotions, not just his mind, his intentionality, his sacrifice, his saving, his healing, his redeeming, his restoring, 
his coming and entering into the circumstance with us. Why? Because there's a purpose that we can't at this time see. A purpose that ultimately we see in the Lazarus passage culminates in his healing, not just resuscitation for this life, but his healing and bringing us on a journey today through COVID-19 into a richer, fuller, more abundant life with him. Eternity is in Jesus' hands. His eternity is in his hands for you and for me. Please, as you consider that and as you think about the rationalist calibrating, controlling and fixing, remember that Jesus has got this. He's got you. And your relationship with him requires you to stop. And every moment of every day, come to him and just remind yourself, he's got this. And if you're wondering what happens in the rest of the story, just watch the animated clip that's coming now. God bless you. A story you will not credit. I followed him to the grave of some dead friend outside Jerusalem. The man's sisters were grieving. Where have you laid him? Take away the stone. The stone? Lord, there will be a stench. He's been in the grave for four days. Did I not tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I thank you, Father. His Father. Because you have heard me, I know that you always hear me. But I have said this for all the people here, so... So they will believe that you sent me. Lazarus! Come! Unbind him. Let him go.